We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're continuing, of course, our study in this practical letter. It's a book from Paul, of course, to Timothy. As I said earlier, Timothy's in this in a town called Ephesus, which was probably one of the leading towns of that day in, in a church called Ephesus that uh, was probably one of the bigger churches of the day. Paul is writing to him from Macedonia. There's all kind of things there. Paul writes to encourage Timothy to stand for Jesus Christ, to be an example. We can make application. We can say in the same way that as Paul writes to Timothy to, to stand for Christ, we can take verses, passages from this from this letter and say, well, that's what we want to do. We want to stand also and make a difference for Christ. But he also writes to encourage the church, the local body of believers, so they would know how to function. And so we as a local church, then we take these truths from the book and we say, okay, how can we apply these things in our lives? As we move to chapter 5, Paul begins to deal with relationships, relationships within the body. For the past few weeks, we've been focusing on an area that is often overlooked, that needs to be understood, but most of the time is not really talked about, and that is that the widows in the church. I mean, that's that's the subject. And as we finish this section, we're going to look at those. In fact, we said last time there there is a there was a list in the first century that if a person was a widow and she had no family and she was over 60 and she had been a godly woman, and if she chose to, she could actually be supported by the church and be put on that list. And we said that there were certain characteristics and qualifications to meet, and that person made a vow that they would serve in the church and be supported by the church. But there were some that were not to be put on the list. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we look at the verses. There's some, what about the younger widows? What about the ones who aren't on the list? What happens there? We're also going to look at also the elders. And as we talk about elders, we want to raise that question because I said earlier that in some Baptist churches, or in fact most Baptist churches, they don't have elders. They have a pastor and then a group of deacons. But as you look at the scriptures, especially 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, you find that there are elders. So we raise some questions. Who are the elders? What do they do? And do they get paid? How does this function? And we'll see how that goes together. We want to understand God's Word, and we want to understand how it fits together, not only so that we can make application individually, but as a church as well. Well, let me raise this question as we start. Do, do you keep your word? There was a time that if a person just said, yes, I'll do it, that, that was as good as done because people's word meant something. Nowadays, it doesn't seem to be quite that way. We have contracts, and people witness them and sign them, and then they still say, well, I don't think I really meant that, and, and we want to change that. In fact, our culture has got to the point that people keep their word if it's convenient to keep their word. Whether it's in business or family, relationships or marriages, we break our vows and our promises. A vow is a serious thing, by the way. Now, the bottom line is your word is the key. And Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if you said, I'll be there at 10, that ought to be good enough. You should be there at 10. A vow is a little bit different. A vow is where you swear to God that you will do something. The Bible says it is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. We're going to talk about this because the widows in this, in this passage, if they wanted to be supported by the church, made a vow. And we'll talk about how that ties together. And, and we'll see how it goes. If, if, you, if they were going to be supported by the church, they would carry out certain ministry. They made a vow that they would do that. So this morning we're going to see that part. We'll also see about elders. Let me break it down for you. Uh, verses 11 through 16. And we'll go through it fairly quickly. Uh, and we're going to talk about widows and, and finish it up. And we'll put that together. And then we're going to start because for the next four or five verses, he's going 
going to deal with elders. We'll just get very the very start of it this morning. In verse, go ahead and go back. We'll just get started in verses 17 and 18 uh, as we look at all this, and we'll see how we put it together. Now, let me give you a review of what we've seen, because some of you haven't been here. First of all, let me just say this. For some of you who may have not been here, we do what we call expository teaching, which means we go through the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage, so you can understand it, you can see it in its context, and you make application. We've been going through the letter of First Timothy. It was the, Paul wrote to Timothy and gave him these information. In this little section, he's been dealing with widows. So let me remind you of what we've seen. We've seen that in the church, there are actually two groups of widows. There are widows that actually have family. They have children or grandchildren. And then there's widows that are called widows indeed, and they actually have no family. Now, here's what we realize from the Scripture, that those who are widows, and they are to be supported and provided for by their families. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. It says, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their parents. It is the responsibility of the family to take care of the widows if they have family. We also realize that, and also verse 16 is the same thing. We'll see that this morning. Then the widows, the widow indeed, which has no one, they are to be provided or can be provided by the church. Verse 3 says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Verse 9 says, a widow is to be put on the list. And so we realized there were certain there were certain qualifications and certain characteristics of widows if they were going to be put on a list to be taken care of by the church. And there were actually three things involved. There was their age, their character, and their responsibility. We saw last week, and we won't go into the details, but some of the characteristics and qualifications to be a widow were found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. They had to be over 60 years old to be put on the list. They had to be a one-man type woman. It didn't mean she had to be married to only one man, but she had to be a one-man type woman, not always looking at different men and for other different men. She had to have a reputation of doing good works, had raised her children, opened her home, served others, aided those in trouble, and she had to make decisions that, that she was going to be devoted to do good works. That was the key of her life. Now, when a woman got to be over 60 and wanted to be put on that list, she couldn't say, I'm going to start doing these things. This had to be the way her life was characterized long before she got to this situation. So that's what we've seen, and we've seen that every widow over 60 didn't qualify, but they had a responsibility to the church, and the next slide talks about it. Their responsibility was prayer and ministry within the church. Now, something I didn't bring out quite as strongly last week is that that when a widow was over 60, she was a widow indeed, she had no one to take care of her, and she, she wanted to come under the protection of the local body, she actually made a vow. I don't know if I put that. Yeah, she, she took a pledge, and she said, I pledge from this point on. I will serve this church in a ministry of prayer and whatever else wants to do. And in turn, that church actually supported that person. I talked about this last week. At our church right now, we have, as far as I know, we have no widows indeed. That means that there are no widows in our church. We have a number of widows, but we have no widows who do not have any family whatsoever and that are over 60 years old and meet all the characteristics and need to be supported by our church. What we want to do, though, is to be ready that if the day comes that we as a local body have a person who fits this biblical thing, that we as a local body must be ready to take care of that person. Now, that person would make a vow, and that vow is they would, in a sense, work for the church. They would serve the church. That's what they did. It was a lifelong vow, by the way. 
We'll see it as we go through the passage. Now, they were placed in the body. I think the next slide says they were placed on the roll, supported by the body as they served within the body. The reason this is in here, because, you know, at that day and time in that culture, there were many widows. There were many widows indeed. There were many people connected with churches. I talked about this earlier in the first service, but I don't know if you realize that there are people who come to our church during the week almost every day asking for support in some way. Asking for money. Asking for needs, and, and you know, there are sometimes we can meet those needs, sometimes we can't. There are some people that uh, that we can tell right off that they have a need, and that we as a local church can meet that need. Sometimes we just can't meet their needs. Sometimes we realize they really don't have needs. Uh, there, are, and I will just say this in the nicest way, but there are people in this town that go from church to church, seeing what they can, you know. And as I talk to other pastors and other organizations, we we know the people. They come they come on a regular basis. So that's just something I want you to understand. But this passage is dealing about widows indeed. Now, here's the question. We said that if a widow has family, they'll take care of them. If there was a widow indeed with no one to take care of them, supported by the church, if they met the characteristics and took the vow. But what about younger women? Because this actually says in verse 9, a widow must not be put on the list. If she, she must can be put on the list if she's not less than 60 years old. So she's got to be at least 60. What about the younger women? What, what about them? They weren't put on the list. Well, why and what happens? Look at verse 11. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in, regard, in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Now, if you read this and you're not reading it carefully, it almost looks negative. But what he's really saying is this. There may be some younger widows, and if they said, oh, I want to be on the list, and if I get on that list, I'll make a vow. And if I make a vow, then I'll spend the rest of my life serving the church. But what if you put them on the list, they make the vow, and then they meet someone. Then they see someone else, and then they come back and say, I've changed my mind. I've met a man that I, I think I'd like to marry him, uh, but I made a vow to the church. I, I want you to understand that in the Bible, a vow is not a, is not a thing like, oh, it doesn't matter. You said it, but it doesn't matter whether you ever do it or not. A vow is a vow. A vow is pretty strong. He's saying, don't put the younger widows on the list because what may happen is they would make a vow and then they'd meet somebody they'd want to marry and then they'd want to get out of their vow. He says, you're not supposed to do that. So here's what he says. Look at verse 11. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desire, meaning they have a desire to get married. And it says in disregard of Christ, meaning in their vow, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous Pledge. I mean, that's the bottom line. And notice this slide. The younger ones will later, the younger one will later desire to be released from their pledge and marry again. That's what they want to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't make a vow that you're going to vow that I will serve in that, that body and you support me for the rest of my life and then go against the vow. That's why verse 12 is so strong. It says, incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous place. Now, when it says condemnation, it doesn't mean lose salvation or anything like that. You can't lose your salvation. He's talking about discipline. And you can't tell from the passage whether he means that the heavenly father will discipline his children when they go against 
go against their vow, or he may even be talking about the church had some discipline in there for this situation. So bottom line, he's saying, listen, for the, for the younger women, don't put them on the list because there's probably going to come a time when they want to remarry. And then he says something. It's really strong. It's really hard. And here's what he says in verse 13. At the same time, they learn to be idle, and they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossip some busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. He says, when the younger widows have all this time on their hand, suddenly, instead of being fruitful and maybe spending time in prayer, they're, they're younger. They've got more energy. They want to do other things. And it says they end up going around from house to house. He says they end up possibly. And he uses two strong words. He uses the word gossip and busybody. The word gossip means foolish words. And the word busybody means attention to unimportant things. And he's basically saying they get their time on other things instead of prayer. They need not to be on the list is what he's saying. Now, I want to stop for just a second because those words are strong. Gossips, busybodies, those are very strong words. And the bottom line is this, and we need to think about it, and it deals with our language and it deals with our tongues. We have to realize that we have to be careful what we say. And realize how strong what comes out of our mouths is. We want to be the kind of people that are building up people, not tearing down people. The truth is we must watch our tongue. There's one of the Proverbs that says, it says this, there are seven things that God hates. If you didn't know the proverb, and if you said, why don't you write down what you think the seven things that God hates are? You'd probably say, well, murder. He hates murder. He homosexuality, uh, stealing, uh, divorce. I mean, you could start listing things. Guess what? Five of the seven things on that list all deal with the tongue. Murder's not on that list, by the way. I'm not saying he does. I'm not saying he likes murder, okay? I'm just saying it's not on that list, okay? <laughs> He's saying this is how important your words are. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Guard your tongue so that you may guard your soul. Psalm 39, David says, I will guard my ways that I will not sin with my tongue. It's so easy to say things and you can't ever get it back. That's one of the things about words. When you say it to somebody, you can't get it back. It's already out there. William Murray said this. He said, If we would keep your lips from slips, five things observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how, and when, and where. Be careful what you say. Well, if he says, don't put the younger women on the list, what's the plan for the younger women? Here's the plan. Get married, bear children, keep house. That's what he says. Notice, therefore, verse 14, I want younger widows to marry, bear children, keep house, and give no, no enemy, uh, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. He says, listen, here's what they should do. Because they're too young to make the rest of their lives a vow to stay in the church and to have a ministry of prayer and other service. They're too young. So he says, go ahead and go ahead and get married and bear children. Take care of the home. That's the bottom line. When I do studies, uh, my premarital counseling, we always go to Titus chapter 2, and it says for the wives to love their husband, to love their children, to be pure and be taking care of the home. Now, by the way, let me say this. When this passage talks about taking care of the home, that does not mean a woman cannot work outside the home if she chooses so, and if her husband and her together decide that. 
I've taught this many times. When, when you teach through First Timothy and you teach through Titus and you teach through Ephesians and you talk about the roles of husbands and wives, sometimes that issue comes up about, about who takes care of the home and those kind of things. The Bible always talks about that the woman is the one. She's the heart of the home, by the way. Have you ever seen where a guy lives by himself? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You see where a woman lives, it's totally different. She's the heart of the home. He's the provider protector. She's the heart. That doesn't mean she can't work outside the home if she chooses to and her family chooses to. Uh, I always want to say that because sometimes when I've taught that, I remember it's been about 15 years ago, I taught those roles, and I said, oh, by the way, now, be careful. I'm not saying a woman can't work outside the home. I'm saying this, this, and this. And I said, so please don't say that. The next day I got two phone calls. Somebody said, I heard you taught that women can't work outside the home. I said, no, I did not. So I'm not saying they can't work outside the home. Is that okay? We got it? So, But, but in this passage, what do they do? He says, what I want them to do is to get married, bear children, take care of the home, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan, meaning some have already gone against their vows. They've gone against those things. Because I just want you to understand, in the Bible, keeping your word is a big deal. I mean, today you may say, I know I promised I would do that, but that doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters scripturally. That's why your yes is yes and no is no. Do what you say. He brings the summary together and says this in verse 16. If any woman who is a believer, and he could have used man, he just uses woman there. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows. So if, you have, if you're a family and you have a widow in your family, she must assist them. And the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. The bottom line is, if, if, a fa- if there's a widow and she has family, it is the family's responsibility to take care of the widow. If the widow has no family, which would be a widow indeed, it is the responsibility of the church to take care of that widow if she meets the qualifications, if she's over 60 and she wants to make the vow that she will serve in the church for the rest of her life. That's what he talks about. And as I said a while ago, as far as I know, We have many widows in our church. We have no widows indeed. Now, I want to say something else about this. When it says they're not put on the list, that doesn't mean they didn't help widows. To be put on the list was to make a vow and to spend the rest of their life serving the church. But we we can help widows all the time, whether they're a widow indeed or not. He's just saying don't put them on that list and expect that from them. It's a pretty powerful truth. So, in a summary, what we see is this. If widow has family, it's supported by the family. If it's a widow indeed, supported by the church. If they meet the characteristics, which I think there's a slide, the qualifications, their age, their character, their ministry, and they make the pledge. Younger widows go on with their lives and get married. It's a hard passage. It's dealing with things that a lot of us say, well, I don't, when do we deal with that? You'll deal with it in the local body. And there may come a time that you do with it in your family. We talked about this several weeks ago, that there are many of you, and we told, especially young people, we said in your relationship to your parents, there are three things you always do. Number one, you obey them as long as you're under their authority. Number two, you honor them for as long as you live. And number three, there may come a time you take care of them. That's what this passage is talking about. So all of you in this room, especially young people, and you think about your mom and daddy, there may come a time that you take care of them. It's your responsibility. If it's a widow or a widower, indeed, you take care of them. That's powerful stuff. Well, from this, he moves to elders, talks about elders. I'm going to go real quickly through this, uh, these last two verses, just give you some things. I like these last two verses a lot because they deal with me. Okay? And I want you to see what they're talking about. And he talks about elders. And I call this passage the honoring, correcting, and selecting 
of elders, and we'll see how it fits together. As we begin, let me put something together. Let's talk about elders, and we've got three questions. Who are they? Who are elders? What are they like, and what do they do? Number one, who are they? Well, we find some scripture that the term elder, bishop, overseer, pastor, they're all the same person in the scripture. So if you see a passage that says the overseer or the elder or the pastor, they're all the same one. The word elder means older, mature. The word bishop means an overseer. And the word pastor means to shepherd. So what the elder really is are mature men who oversee the body as they shepherd the flock. That's what they do. Yeah, that's who they are. They're mature men. Now, exactly what are they, what are they like? Well, they have characteristics found in 1 Timothy 3. They have to be above reproach and people of character. And then there are three big areas that we've got here that they have to be, uh, in, in, as far as relationship to self, morally pure and righteous. As far as their family, they must manage their home. As far as others, they must have a good reputation within and with outside the body. The third thing is what do they do? They shepherd the flock. They teach the word. They oversee the ministry. They set the example. Now, what I want you to see, and I'm going to go through this quickly, and I'll go a little bit more detail next week, is when you look at elders in the Scripture, you find that there are two groups, two ways to divide elders, what we call teaching elders and serving elders. And I want you to see how this fits together. Look at verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages when this passage says double honor notice what it says elders who rule well are to consider worthy of double honor here's the double honor it's respect and pay a person who has a position of elder has respect but there are some elders who get double honor meaning they also get paid now let me show you something you may have not seen this, but there is a thing called, there's, there's a teaching elder and a serving elder. Let me explain to you. A teaching elder goes back to Ephesians 4.11. It is a spiritual gift. Ephesians 4 says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. That's a teaching elder. That's a person who has the gift of pastor teaching. They get to teach the scripture. By the way, I have the gift of pastor teacher. I get to teach the scripture. That's my job. That's part of what I get to do. I get to study the Bible and teach it. There is an office of elder, which is a position in a local church called a serving elder, which helps oversee the ministries. That could be any person with any spiritual gift. I'm talking about any man with a spiritual gift. They are raised up to help and take leadership. But there is, there are elders, and then there are some who get to be called teaching elders. This passage says that in those teaching elders, notice the elders who rule well to be considered worthy of double honor, especially saying these are the ones, those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And that is the idea, if you go to the next slide, I think, is those who study and teach the word of God. What you find in the scripture that there are men who are raised up out of the body who, who take the position and the office of elder. They oversee the flock. There are some who have gifts, spiritual gifts like pastor, teacher, like me, who not only have the honor of the position, but we have double honor, which means we get paid. So by the grace of God, you pay me to teach the Bible. Now, I want to say this, and, and, and I mean this sincerely. Uh, the scripture in 1 Corinthians 9 talks about the one who, who proclaims the good news makes their living from the good news. At Countryside, we have five serving elders and one teaching elder. That's me. It tells me, the Bible tells me as the teaching elder to preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 
This passage says we're to pay those people. Notice verse 18. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. If you go back to that passage in Deuteronomy, it's not talking just about feeding an ox. It's talking about making sure the person who works gets paid for their labor. He goes on to quote, the laborer is worthy of his wage. That's that's Luke chapter 10. And so let me put those verses up for you right there. Deuteronomy 25, Luke 10, Matthew, Luke 10 verse 7, and then Matthew. Paul quotes scripture saying people who do that get paid. Now, let me just say this to you. I would teach the Bible and do all the things that I do now for no money whatsoever. I love it. It's the spiritual gift that I have. It's what God lets me to do. I love to study. I love to teach. I love to be with you. It's the joy of my life. Scripture says that the person who gets to do that gets paid, can get paid. In other words, the scripture says you shall not muzzle the the ox while he's threshing. You can give them. So I thank God for this body that you've made it possible for me to study the Bible and to teach it and pay me so I can earn a living that way. I came here, as many of you know, I came here in July of 85. There were 11 people in the church when I came. But those 11 people were committed that I would not go get a part-time job. And so they paid me a salary. It was not a very big salary. In fact, it wasn't big at all. But it was enough for me. I was a single guy then. It was enough for me to live so that I could spend my time studying the Bible, teaching the Bible, meeting people, doing all those kind of things. And as the church has grown over the years, y'all have still allowed me to do that. In fact, we have more men on staff that do the same thing that I do. And so by the grace of God, I get to do that. And it is, it is great. Thank you that I do not have to do something else. When I coached at Mississippi State... Um, uh, coaching takes a lot of time, and what I would do is I would uh, get up and I would go to work, and then sometimes by the time I got home, it was 10 or 11 at night. And then sometimes I would go, and I was single then, of course, and I would go get off by myself, and I would study for a couple of hours, maybe to 1 in the morning, because I had a Bible study that I taught on Tuesday nights and a Bible study that I taught on Thursday nights, and I taught a Sunday school class, and I taught another. This is all while I was coaching because I loved the teaching. And so I was earning my living by being a coach, and then in my spare time, I was trying to study and teach. Now, I earn my living getting to study and teach and be with you. So I thank you for that. And the Bible says, that's okay to do that. And I really appreciate that. If you could pay me more, I'd really appreciate it. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, yeah, I really appreciate it. I have the greatest time. Next time, we're going to see what about these elders that mess up. What happens when they do something wrong? What happens? And how, what about choosing elders and those kind of things? We'll see that. Well, this passage dealt with how do we deal with widows in the church? If they're widows and have family, the family takes care of them. If they're widows indeed and they meet the characteristics and they want to make a vow, the church takes care of them. If they're younger, they go back and hopefully remarry and have a family and that kind of thing. And we also saw about elders. Let me give you an application. Number one, let us support our widows. If a widow has family, they're to take care of them. That's bottom line. First thing, if a widow has family, they're to take care of them. Second, under, if, if there's a widow indeed, they're to be supported by the church if they meet the qualifications, the characteristics, if they make the pledge, if they do all that. And as I said a while ago, at this stage of our church's life, we don't have any widow indeeds that are under the support of the church. The second thing, and I just want to remind you of this one, is let's watch our words. Because this passage talked about people saying things and gossips and busybodies. And we t- started to say that in and, and the two areas, vows and tongue. Be careful when you make a vow. Because the Bible... The Bible holds people to vows. Now, vows are different. If I said, I'll be there at 10, that's not a vow. That's my word. 
and I should keep my word, and my yes should be yes, and my no should be no. But a vow is where I say, I swear to God, that I'll do that. And a lot of people stand up in front of a whole bunch of people, and they vow before God that they will be together for the rest of their lives. And then sometimes they don't look at those as very strong, and they should. Because Jesus said, let your yes be yes and no be no. And if you make a vow, it would be better not to make a vow than make a vow and not keep it. Watch our tongue. Oh, sorry, go back again. Watch our tongue because what comes out ought to be building up, not tearing down. The third thing is understand the role of the elders. I mean, think about who they are. They shepherd the flock. They lead. They guide. They oversee. And I think the groups of them, if you think there's teaching and serving, the teaching elders can be supported by the church. So may we support our widows who are widows indeed. May we be men and women. Women who, who use our words to build up, not to tear down. And may we understand the roles of those who are in leadership in the church, especially the elders. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that is here. When we think about widows, Lord, we know that there are two kinds. And every one, a widow that has family are to be taken care of by their family. And the widows that do not have family, if they meet the qualifications, Lord, and characteristics, we as a local body would do that. Thank you. Lord, I, I pray that we will watch our words and our vows and our tongue and the things that we say and the things that we do, that our yes will be yes and our no will be no and we'll be godly people. And then finally, that may we understand how this fits together, Lord, and as we see more next week about the elders and they shepherd the flock and they guide and oversee and they teach. And, Lord, I would like to say thank you for allowing me to get to be a pastor and to get to be in this position and get to get to earn my living by teaching and studying and being with people and doing the ministry. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to do that. Thank you for this body of believers. Lord, would you use us for your glory? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.